Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is sponsored by Wick Realty. If you listened to last week's show, the July 20th one, you heard my guest Mugisha Aimee talk about the value and pride a new Habitat home provided his family. That's something real estate agents really understand. Home ownership plays a big role in our lives. In just a minute, you'll hear me interview today's guest on a big sheltered back porch that came with the home Wick helped my family buy in 2018. It's been essential for recording episodes during a pandemic that requires social distancing. Anyway, mortgage rates are incredibly low. The real estate market is still very strong in Amarillo. So if you're buying, selling, building, if you're looking for investment property, even if you're a first-time homeowner, this is a great time to talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Today's guest is Kyla Fry. Kyla is the executive director of the WT Enterprise Center, which is an organization at the heart of the local economy. It provides support for entrepreneurs who are seeking to take their businesses to the next level. And Kyla has been working there in a variety of roles since she first graduated from WT. We talk a lot about how the Enterprise Center actually works, but also about why this area is such a fantastic home for small businesses and why the organization's accelerator program is starting to get national attention from tech startups. If you work in business or if you have an entrepreneurial spirit, I think you're going to love this one. Here's Kyla Fry. Kyla Fry, welcome to the Hammerella podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Longtime fan of the podcast. This is kind of fun. Well, good. I, I'm <laughs> glad to have you. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I know you're a listener uh, of the show. I know you've listened to it for a long time. And we've worked together on uh, you know multiple capacities, and so it's um, I'm I'm eager to talk to you like in this format. And I know as a listener, you're you're probably excited about you know being on this side of the mic and, and not just listening through your phone. So at least I hope you are. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> um, okay, so we are on my back porch as we've been doing lately. Um, so there's a little bit of noise. A car just drove by in the alley. Uh, so forgive us for that, but I think it'll work. The, the way that I like to open every show, of course, is to ask you how you ended up here in Amarillo. So tell me your coming to Amarillo story. Well, it was kind of predetermined for me. So I ended up here and I think I was about 18 months old. I was actually born in Colorado Springs. Um, it's where my mom is from and she met my dad there. And he was an Amarillo boy up there for the army and just ended up that we came back to his hometown and I've been here ever since. Do you know anything about that discussion? Moving here from Colorado Springs is a pretty big change. Pretty I, a lot of people go the change. other direction. Yeah, my mom, it took some convincing. Um, she was a hairdresser up there until her clientele was established. I know it was hard for her and, of course, leaving her family, but ultimately it was the best decision for our family, and I think she was pretty happy to raise raise kids in Amarillo. Okay, so you grew up here all through your teenage, high school years, all that? Yes, I left a little bit for college and then came back. Okay, so. do you remember that college experience? I mean, did you, were you one of those kids who was eager to get out of town and go someplace else? Or were you someone who was happy, you know, sticking around? Um, I mean, a part of me kind of wanted the experience. Um, I actually went to Austin, the University of Texas for a minute, uh, but my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer or two forms of cancer. And so I came back pretty quickly because I wanted to be around family and be here for her last days. And so so you ended up going to WT? I did. Okay. I did. 
it was really interesting. I didn't ever think that I would end up at WT. It just kind of wasn't in my frame of mind when applying for college, but I'm a two-time graduate now and Mm -hmm. really enjoyed the experience. And I feel like WT is kind of underestimated sometimes by kids that are from the Panhandle. I think that's true. And especially when you get there and you see how many kids are attending WT who are not from here. I mean, Mm -hmm. my daughter goes there now and she's met people from Colorado and from Washington state. I mean, from all over the country come to WT. Yeah. It was definitely an eye opening experience and meeting all the different people from all over the globe, really that go to WT and made some lifelong friends there. So it was, I think the experience that I needed that I didn't know that I needed. Where did you go to high school here in Amarillo? I went to Randall high school. And did you, once you got, you know, ready to prepare for college, whether it was thinking about UT or coming back to WT, did you know what you wanted to do? I mean, did you have sort of a career path planned out? Yeah. So I actually went to Amarillo College for the first two years to get my transfer credits and, you know, try to keep student loans under control. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom worked there at the time too. And Really loved Paul Matney and his leadership at Amarillo College. So that was a great experience. I learned how to be a college student, was a blue blazer, was really heavily involved. So it really taught me how to be a college student while being able to still be around family and friends. So it was a really great experience. But yeah, I initially thought I was going to go into interior design. Um, and then I found out real quickly that was going to be a hard career path. So I tried to transition that and went to early education and then ultimately ended up in advertising public relations. All right. And is that the degree that you graduated from WT with? Undergrad, yes. Okay, and then undergrad. I got my MBA in December of 2018. Okay. So I I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, once you graduated from WT and for a lot of students, you know, you, you do that even if you have to come home, even if you go to college, you know, in the region. You don't have to stay here. You know, you could, you could do advertising, PR, all that stuff anywhere. Was it ever a consideration to not stay in the Amarillo area? Um, well, in full honesty, I did apply for other places. So you um, tried to leave. And <laughs> well, it was really because I wanted to be in sports marketing, and that's kind of hard to come by in this region. And so, at least course, it was then. It may, yes, may be a little easier now. But. It might be actually, and with the sod poodles and everything. But um, at that time, it was difficult to try to find a sports marketing career in this region. So I had applied at different places and. You know, I was about to get married and definitely needed a, a full-time job graduating college. So was applying all over the place, um, ended up at the Enterprise Center, just applying there. Didn't really know a whole lot about entrepreneurship at that time or about the Enterprise Center, but I went ahead and applied. I knew some mutual friends that were there, and ultimately it worked out. What so. was your initial position there? I was the front desk position, so the client services coordinator, which okay. is the entry-level position. Yes. And did you did you take that position thinking, okay, this is something I'm going to do for a little bit, and then I'll I'll find my way into you know a, a career path that's that's beyond front desk services. You know, you had done the marketing and PR stuff. You've been a blue blazer. So did you see it as a temporary kind of thing? You know, a stepping stone to the next place. Yeah, at the time, definitely, I underestimated the value of that position that I think most people do going into that entry level position, but it's ultimately you're the the first person that they see when they enter 
the enterprise center. Yeah, first and, impressions. I mean, yeah. you're setting that. And going as an entrepreneur, going and asking for help in the first place is scary. And so for that person to have that bubbly personality and energy and want to be there and help them is really important. And so I kind of underestimated that at the beginning. Um, definitely thinking it was just kind of a career step to the next thing. And somewhere along the way, I just really fell in love with the startup community and helping entrepreneurs find their passion. And so it just kind of worked out. So I'd, I'd like to talk about that, that pathway um, because even so, even, you know, you recognizing how vital a role that front desk is, the career path from I worked at the front desk for this organization and then now I'm the executive director of this organization, that's, that's not super common. It's not. Uh, that's not generally how, you know, you go from, um, from that level to a, a CEO position or executive position. So tell me how that happened and, and sort of what the timeline was. Well, I've been at the Enterprise Center for eight years, June 1st, so... Throughout the last eight years, I just really had great mentors who invested a lot in me personally and professionally. And that obviously when people are invested in you, that makes you in turn invested in the organization. Mm -hmm. So I think that played a large role in me wanting to stay there and develop my career. Um, Again, just seeing the different local entrepreneurs being a hometown kid, it started meaning more and more to be able to help people in my community develop the business of their dreams and work through those challenges and support them and um, just be a part of something larger that impacted this community. I felt like that's kind of what resonated with me and why I stayed. And then so you've been in the executive director position, I guess, in an official title capacity for about a year, right? Officially a little over a year. Okay. And then as an interim director for longer than that? About two years. Okay. I'd like to let you or ask you to talk some about the work that happens at the Enterprise Center, because the sense I get, there are a lot of people who have heard about it, who have heard about the Enterprise Challenge. Maybe they know a business that has used it as an incubator. But unless you've passed through that system, you may not have a really good idea of what value it provides or what it can do for somebody. So, you know, give give listeners an idea of what kinds of businesses might come to the Enterprise Center for help you know, um, just, just the most basic. So not, not going through, um, like the wire accelerator program or anything specific, but doing, you know, say you're a local business, you're trying to grow, you're trying to figure this thing out and you turn to the enterprise center. What might you receive? You know, we like to be the front door for anything entrepreneurship in the Texas Panhandle. And so whether you necessarily are a long-term fit for some of our programs or, you're just starting out and we can recommend you to somewhere else like the SBDC or a different organization. We want to help everybody. And so we, we just really encourage if you have a business idea or a startup or you're an existing business and you're trying to grow a new product or going through a challenging time and you just need extra support, uh, we're there for all stages of the entrepreneur journey. And I think a lot of people in our community don't realize all the things that we can do and all the different connections that we have. And so when somebody else comes in and says, you know, somebody that graduated from here recommended I come here, that makes me feel good because it means that we impacted them and their business in a way that they're now telling somebody else to come see us. I should probably mention for full disclosure that I'm a mentor uh, for the Enterprise Center, so I know a little bit more about how it works. And one of the things that I've always appreciated 
about it is that it's not just like you offer a single service. Like for any small business, let's say, that approaches the Enterprise Center, they might be really, really good at one thing. You know, say you're a guy who developed a business, you're great at sales, you can, you can go make money that way, but maybe you're not great at running the business or you're not great at doing the accounting or you're not great about like figuring out how can I grow beyond just my ability to make sales. That there's always a next level kind of step. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't really even know what that next step is. They just know I need to change something. And, and that's who you end up dealing with a lot of times. Absolutely. So normally there's kind of three stages and somebody's either really good at the product, they're really good at marketing and sales, or they're really good at managing the business. And so the two other facets of that triangle are what we're trying to coach them in. Um, Because again, being an entrepreneur is a big job. You're responsible for everything. And so we're trying to kind of teach you and help you grow into the business taking care of you, you not taking care of the business all the time. Okay. And so that's kind of why we're focused on those growth-minded individuals that want the business to be larger than a lifestyle business or a hobby, um, really focused on scaling it. But yeah, it's it's a lot to learn. There's a lot to owning a business that most people don't pay attention to. So we've, we've developed our programs to make sure that we hit all of those areas so that by the time that they leave the enterprise center, they know everything there is to know about owning a business. Yeah, and it's the stuff that they realize they don't know after they've already launched a business. You know, they get several months into whatever this enterprise is, and they're like, oh, I, I don't even know how to do this thing. Right. <laughs> and you're already in it at that point. So you, yes. the learning curve is steep, and it has to happen in real time as you do everything else. Yes. That's one of my favorite things about working with clients is, you know, we go through these assessments, and we ask, okay, do you have a strategic plan? Um, no. Do you have a budget? Uh Kind of. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's just learning those systems and processes and making sure that you're setting a solid foundation for your business so that you can leverage that when you're scaling and growing or adding new team members. One of the big success stories of the Enterprise Center is Sage Oilvac. And I wonder if you could tell a little bit, I know a lot of that happened before your time there Mm -hmm. um, because they were one of the early clients, but if, if you could tell a little bit about that story and uh, maybe use it as an example of how the Enterprise Center comes in and helps you know, a startup business take that next step, get to the next level, and, and sort of where they've ended up today. Sure. I love that story, but it, I also really love the Sage family. They are great people, but they started on a family farm in Dalhart. And Gary, the dad, was working on changing the oil in one of their large rigs. And at that time, there was a lot of fees and mandates on how much oil was spilt on farmland. And you had to pay heavy fees for that. And so out of creativity and innovation, he created this vacuum system to change the oil in and out of these large tractors and rigs to avoid the fees. Yeah, he's just trying not to make a mess when he does this thing. And so pure innovation, his neighbors started seeing his system and said, hey, Gary, why don't you make me one of those? And so it just kind of blossomed from there. Um, They actually were the first client of the Enterprise Center off Northwestern. They basically had the entire manufacturing space to themselves. Um, So their story is pretty incredible. And now they have uh, their own manufacturing space off Lakeside and I think exporting to over 10 international companies and 
Aaron Sage, the son, is now the CEO. So just a really incredible story to watch from the very beginning to kind of where they are now. But yeah, incubation is helpful in that process because a lot of people, again, don't want to ask for help or they don't know what they don't know going into entrepreneurship. And so just having that support system and mentors and um, coaching tools and techniques from experienced coaches and entrepreneurs just really helps your success rate versus trying to do it all alone. And that's a that's a great story to use as an example because I mean like you said Gary Sage was just like he solved a problem and then his his buddies saw that that was a great solution and so he's helping them out you know working from the garage or from the barn you know and then gets to a point where he thinks okay I can this could be a business but again he's a farmer mm-hmm. you know doesn't know anything really about running a business at least a manufacturing business and so it was that relationship with the Enterprise Center that helped him make the transition from this is this little side gig I'm doing to, okay, now I'm making these for people and I'm trying to sell them. I'm trying to grow them. And without that, that step in the middle, like he's not selling all over the world now. He's not introducing all these new products. Right. Yeah. And you know, another way that they got really innovative was when the wind farms came and Gary said, okay, well, there's a machine up there. And they're going to have to change the oil in that. So what can we do to kind of help solve that problem? And so that was another way that they, over the years, uh, were just really innovative in what they were doing and created another segment of their business. So, Could you tell me a little bit about the Wire Accelerator program? I know that's a a new and exciting program uh, at the Enterprise Center, and it's now in its second iteration. Yes. Um, This one is, is mostly virtual uh, at this point, which I know is, yes. is a complication. But talk about that, about the, the first time um, and the idea and sort of what it's trying to bring to this area. Okay. Well, the idea came about almost three years ago now, and we saw kind of a gap in our services. So we've been doing incubation for the last 19 years, and it works really well in this region because we are more service-based, agriculture, clean tech, manufacturing, and the scale and the rate of growth for those businesses is more linear. Okay. But with the high growth technology companies, the amount of programming and the need for help immediately for the high growth companies is just different. And so we, we kind of began exploring, okay, well, what can we offer to meet those companies where they are and also recruit some of those companies to Amarillo to kind of diversify our economy and some of our industries. So we went down the path of researching and we found, you know, okay, what is, what is really the accelerator industry? You know, we know incubation, we've done that really well, but what, what really is the difference between an accelerator and incubator? And that's what we found. And so talk about those differences real quick. Just, just so if, if these are terms that people are not familiar with, you know, what What are you doing as an incubator for a company? And then what are you doing as an accelerator to a startup? So an incubation program typically takes anywhere at that time from three to five years. You know, you're working full-time in the business. You're coaching, you know, at that time every two weeks. You're going through different trainings, but it's just a little bit longer of a process and it's not as intense. Whereas the accelerator program, technology is constantly innovating and changing, and your need to adapt and pivot is a lot quicker. Mm. So the accelerator program is about two to three months, and it's full-time intensive meeting 
rapidly with mentors, partners, coaches to get your MVP or your minimum viable product to the market. Okay. And so that's kind of the difference between incubation and acceleration. One is more um, traditional industry based and a little bit longer process. And the other one is very technology heavy and a much quicker process. And then the incubation is is largely taking place with companies that are already in this area, you know, maybe in the panhandle, not necessarily Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Um, but the accelerator is designed to attract tech companies that are not necessarily based in Amarillo. Some have been, and some are local, but others are from Absolutely. elsewhere. Yes, and that has been a very interesting process of opening applications up nationwide to this program. Uh, we even get applications internationally, but at this time we just can't support international um, clientele in the accelerator right now. Hopefully in the future we can. Uh, But the interesting part is seeing them come to Amarillo. Unfortunately, this year we're doing it virtually, but it's still fun to kind of see the cohort um, get together and that, you know, kind of relationship that they build with each other. But they underestimate Amarillo in so many ways. Um, especially from a business community standpoint. And so it's interesting to see that perspective come in and the connections that we have within the region and then being able to leverage that in ways that they couldn't in more urban areas. So it's it's been a fun, eye-opening process going through and creating this new program. I wonder if you could share some of the things that they do find in Amarillo. Like, let's say you have a startup, you know, a, a baby technology company in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that has an idea, they're not sure how to really take it to market, and then they come to Amarillo as part of Wire Accelerator. What are they going to get here that maybe they can't get in a place like Dallas-Fort Worth? What's what's the big attraction for our area? So kind of two things come to mind. When we were doing the application process for the second cohort this year, one of the things that kept coming up in our interviews was how impactful the video was from the first cohort, kind of the testimonial video. And they said while watching that before they applied, you could genuinely tell from the cohort last year that they were not just a number and a large accelerator, that people were one-on-one with them, they were hands-on, they truly wanted to see their company succeed. So the authenticity that came across from Amarillo and our team to support these companies drew in more applicants this year, which, you know, being from Amarillo, I was just like, well, that's just what we do. And so hearing that perspective and that difference between our accelerator and some of the other ones out there was pretty impactful and inspiring for us just to know that we're, we're doing the right things and we're providing value that they want to come here. Uh, but then, too, I just think the relationships that we have um, is just different. You know, we can call Bell Helicopter or Pantex or XL Energy and ask for a meeting for these startups. And David Hudson's going to answer the call. Yeah. You know, and I don't think that they get that within the Dallas Metroplex area. You know, there's so many layers to getting to the executive team, whereas here, these are our neighbors and our friends and we go to church with them and our kids go to school together. And it's just a different relationship that we're able to leverage for these startups. Tell me how this idea is beneficial for this area for somebody who's like, well, that's great that you're helping the startup, you know, 
in Florida. Um, but like, what does it do for us? Why is it important for Amarillo or why is it important for the enterprise center? I think the more that we can bring in these technology companies to this region, it creates one diversity, but two more jobs, especially for our graduates coming out of Amarillo college and WT they have somewhere that they can go as a um, coder or a computer engineer or software developer. You know, a lot of people have this misconception that you have to go to Dallas or Denver or Austin to find these jobs. And we really want to contribute to the fact that if we bring in these technology companies and they find the value and they see the value of being in Amarillo they're getting the resources that they need that they could get in other places here, but a little bit more in depth. It, I feel like it just creates this better synergy for everybody, better opportunity for everybody to leverage. And so in, in that way, it sort of acts as a really subtle way of advertising the area because they're interacting with the people, they're meeting the experts, they're working with mentors, they're meeting CEOs, like some of the big businesses. All of that works you know, you've got a background in marketing. All of that works as like really good PR for this area. Absolutely. That's just, you know, <laughs> kind of wrapped up as a byproduct of this thing that they're getting. Right. So twofold, we get to help entrepreneurs, which is our passion, you know, no matter what industry they're in, we get to help them. But then two, we also get to develop our ecosystem here in our community. And that's really important for us and our team. So the uh, I, I know that the incubation program you mentioned is, you know, in the past has been a three to five year process, and I know that you've recently retooled that at the Enterprise Center to, to try to maybe structure it a little tighter um, and and bring more people through it, like in a in a way that's maybe more efficient. Uh, so talk to me about the Growth Academy and how that has um, has sort of been birthed out of this this longer term incubation model. Absolutely. So that's been an interesting transition just because just because that's the way you've always done it doesn't mean that that's the way you have to do it going forward. And so transitioning that program to meet the needs of local entrepreneurs and really identify their challenge areas and kind of going back to, you know, they don't know what they don't know. So how do we teach them everything there is about entrepreneurship? So we transition that into an 18 month program. They get to do it in a cohort, so it's no longer just going through the incubation process alone. You're in a group, and so that also kind of helps because you have that support system and that bond of people like you going through the same challenges and same process. We and have, it might be people in totally different industries, oh, too. Yeah, so like absolutely. it's a diverse group. It's not all a bunch of real estate agents hoping to, to launch a real estate company. It's yeah. a bunch of people. So in our first cohort, we have a subscription box company, an engineer, a Bloody Mary mix, a salsa, a Wintech service company. So it's just so diverse and that they get to ask each other, you know, how, how are you solving this issue or this problem? Well, who are you using for this? What software did you use for this? Um, who, how are you hiring for, for this person or what, you know, platforms did you use to put this job out there? So they're offering each other value going through this program together than they would, you know, get just going alone. So it's been interesting. And we saw that for the first time with the co the accelerator cohort and seeing them go through it together and create that bond as a team. 
And so transitioning that into the incubation side of it has been interesting as well. We've been talking about the Enterprise Center. We've been talking about, you know, the services you provide clients and bringing in companies from outside the area, working with companies within the area. Talk to me just about small business and entrepreneurship here in the Texas Panhandle. Um, Because I get a sense talking to people that this is maybe an especially fertile place to be an entrepreneur. Um, Maybe different from what you might get in a, a larger city, that, that there's something special, you know, about what's happening here. Is, I mean, is that an accurate thing to say? I, I would agree with that. I mean, growing up in Amarillo, local businesses was just a part of our life. And the mom and pop shops and support local and, you know, going to Donut Stop every Saturday morning or Jorge's on Friday nights, you know, that was just a part of what we did. Um, going to the local sporting goods store versus the the big box companies. So when traveling to different conferences for small business and entrepreneurship, it really was an eye opening experience realizing that we, we have so much of that already and we're not trying to go out and develop entrepreneurs like some of these other cities are across the nation. We already have so many. It's just getting them to, understand what the enterprise center does and that we're here to help that sometimes is the challenge but it's it's definitely a unique place for entrepreneurship does the diversity of the economy here play into that i mean i'm thinking about places like you know you might have a town in michigan where everybody is employed by the auto industry Mm -hmm. and so there's an expectation people growing up they think well i'll just find a good job working for ford and i'll do that all my life and that's in Amarillo, we don't have like one dominant thing. We've got a lot of agriculture, we've got a lot of petroleum, we've got a lot of wind energy, we've got a lot of um, defense contracting, all that stuff. And so, the more that the diversity grows here, maybe that abundance of options has given people the idea to say, Yeah, and I can just go do my own thing if I want to. I'm not locked into this career. Mm hmm. I, and I think a lot of that kind of goes back to our pioneering spirit and kind of our heritage, if you will, because our land was so rugged and because we were kind of out here on our own, it, it's almost like it bred that entrepreneurship mentality in us naturally. We had to figure it out. We had to be creative thinkers and problem solvers. And absolutely, I mean, if, if what you grew up seeing was going to the coal mine, it's hard to get out of that frame of mind. Mm-hmm. However, if you grew up in a place like Amarillo and you saw your best friend's dad owned his own tire shop or your next door neighbor owned her own salsa company or restaurant on the boulevard or whatever it was, your frame of mind is immediately more open to being an entrepreneur and having your own business owning your own dental practice than somewhere where it's it's already made up for you. One of the things, Kyla, that I was really impressed by, um, I, I met the current Wire Accelerator co- cohort um, in a Zoom call uh, a few days ago, and I was really impressed with the diversity of the participants, um, especially you know in technology startups, that there's a lot of cultures represented there. And I know that, you know, here in Amarillo, we are a diverse community. 
but I know a lot of the work that the Enterprise Center does is tends to come from you know more middle class uh, entrepreneurs and startups with people who are maybe beginning with more resources um, than than others might have, and you know thinking about the growth in the North Heights and the Barrio and the San Jacinto community as the city pays more attention to these neighborhoods that maybe are lower income, that maybe are under-resourced, that entrepreneurial spirit is still present there. I mean, they definitely, there are business owners there who could benefit from the Enterprise Center. So I wonder if, if you have talked about, yes, there are great success stories like Sage Oilvac that goes on to become a million dollar company with clients all over the globe. But there are also these lower income entrepreneurs who could benefit from the Enterprise Center too. And I know that that's kind of been a challenge to engage those communities. Uh, and I wonder what, what kinds of conversations you've had about that, what kinds of thoughts you have about that. We've definitely had conversations. And one thing I do want to applaud our community is on focusing on those areas. And there are leaders in each of the Barrio, North Heights Project, Doshan Johnson, I believe he was a podcast. Yeah. And then San Jacinto, of course, Brady Clark's doing an awesome job over there. But yeah, absolutely. There's entrepreneurs in every single one of those communities. And trying to figure out how to get the resources of the Enterprise Center to those communities has been a challenge. Um, Unfortunately, coming to the Enterprise Center, first of all, is overwhelming for any entrepreneur because walking in and sharing your idea with somebody and saying, is this good? Should I do this? Or Because your initial approach, if, if you're entering the doors, like you're walking in saying, I don't know how to do stuff. It's an approach of humility. And that's that's difficult, especially for someone who's an entrepreneur, because they tend to have a lot of self-confidence. You've got to have self-confidence to do that. Exactly. But then you've got to walk through the doors and say, look, guys, I'm clueless. I need your help. That's, that's a hard switch for a lot of people. It is. It's such a hard thing to do. And like you said, being humble and overcoming that achiever spirit that most entrepreneurs have. So you add that on top of walking into a building that is very large and can sometimes look academic you add all those elements together and it's it's very hard to try to engage entrepreneurs in some of our our northern and eastern areas of the community. So we're we are trying to figure out a way and there are conversations being had of how can we expand our services? How can we reach other communities in our region and in our city that need help? Um, it's just again different mentality, different access to resources and sometimes they just don't even know they don't even know the enterprise center exists so trying to figure out how to get there how to connect with them how to provide them services is definitely something that we're working towards i know that you know one of the things you do professionally is you think about the future of this area um and you know the direction that amarillo is going as you're trying to bring tech companies in as you're trying to help businesses grow you know Seeing where we are now and, and that entrepreneurial spirit and a lot of the, um, the initiatives that are happening to grow that here, you know, what do you see Amarillo doing within the next five to ten years? Maybe, maybe what's, what's the dream for this area as you continue your work at the Enterprise Center? I mean, personally, my dream for Amarillo is to be on the Kauffman Foundation list for top places, mid-sized cities for entrepreneurs to go and that we have a thriving ecosystem that's supportive and collaborative 
providing the resources, the capital, the tools, um, all those things. That's my personal goal for Amarillo. I want to see that happen. I think in order for that to happen, we've got to be more collaborative. And that means talking to each other, telling each other what, what projects we're working on, what our goals are, what our visions are for our organizations. Because if we're not partnering and collaborating and communicating, it's going to be really hard to bring all of that together. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's my hope. I think there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people developing innovative things and pushing for that to happen, but it's it's going to take all of us coming together to really create a solid foundation for that ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by SKP Creative. SKP is a full-service local marketing agency, and I asked them what they wanted to communicate this time around. Right now, they want to encourage you to wear a mask. That's their message. Cases are increasing in Amarillo. They're still going up. Kyla and I have been talking about the economy and the value of entrepreneurship in this episode. And the truth is we all want businesses to be able to stay open. We want the economy to get going again. Well, the best way to ensure all those things is to keep COVID-19 cases down. And the best way to do that, according to experts from the CDC to the state government to Amarillo Public Health, is to wear a mask anytime you're out in public and you can't maintain distance. Masks are recommended for slowing the spread of the virus, and limiting the spread of the virus is a precondition to fully reopening Amarillo. So wear a mask. Thanks again to SKP Creative at skpcreative.com. Okay, I'm back with Kyla Fry from the WT Enterprise Center. Kyla, this is the part of the show uh, I call Eight Straight. I know you've heard it before. Super excited. <laughs> I ask a lot of the same questions of every guest, and I know you're super excited to answer these questions that you've heard other guests uh, answer. The first one that I want to ask you is a new one that I've been doing the last few episodes. What is one thing that the last few months, whether it's the protests, whether it's the pandemic, um, but what has this period revealed to you about our city? I think the the thing that I was most impressed by was the innovation coming from the small businesses during that time and the collaboration of seeing you know Miss Piggies and Bagel Place selling their products together and selling right. groceries that people couldn't get their hands on and Palace Coffee coming out with their app and their delivery service and there was just so many examples of people pivoting and doing things differently to meet their customers needs and pain points and to me of course being in my position that was that was really inspiring to me and something that I really enjoyed seeing. There's a, uh, I, I know this just because I was working on an article about it. I, I can't just throw this off top of mind, but I know there's an economist who talks about the idea of creative destruction, that sometimes when there is a crisis, what grows out of it is innovation, it's creativity. And so you've seen businesses that did not have a strong online presence or did not have an app for their business suddenly they're faced with not being able to serve customers face-to-face. And so they develop that stuff, you know, in a three to four week period in April. And then suddenly they've got this, this extra way to reach customers. And so a lot of the innovation that was forced by this time of destruction uh, is going to be beneficial in the long run for some of these businesses. Absolutely. And you said exactly what one of my favorite quotes is, and limitation breeds innovation. 
And so seeing that come to life and seeing Amarillo embody that in such a way. And then, of course, all the local support that went behind that. Everybody was pushing, you know, go to my neighbor's store. Right. Go to my, Don't just know, order from Amazon. Yeah, you can get it from somebody yeah, who exactly. supports this area. So the shop local movement that also went along with that just made me really proud to be from Amarillo and seeing everybody come together. What does this area have too much of? This is really cliche, but wind, wind, being a track kid, you know, and having meets canceled and not being able to pole vault some days and walking outside even now and trees are, you know, branches are breaking off trees on some nights. And so it's, I, I love a cool breeze. I love fall in the Amarillo Panhandle. That's my favorite, but the wind could could be a little less. See, I didn't know you were a pole vaulter even. We could have talked about that earlier <laughs> yeah. in this discussion. Random fact. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, what does this area not have enough of? I'm going to say, and I know that this has been said before on the podcast, but recreational centers. We have too many families leaving on the weekends to go to baseball tournaments, volleyball tournaments, hockey events. And, you know, we really could be utilizing that and leveraging that in so many ways being you know the next big city from dallas to denver albuquerque to oklahoma city i mean we we are prime spot for having a huge recreational center that could be utilized and keeping our families here but then also bringing more families here so and that's not just a convenience argument i mean that's an economic argument i mean anybody who has traveled with a teenage basketball team or volleyball team sees maybe not this summer but sees how those tournaments bring in thousands of people they're all staying at the hotels they're all eating at the restaurants moms and dads are paying money to watch their kids play in a tournament that they've already paid money to be in the tournament i mean it just it it generates a lot of money for the area Um, and with our sales tax and yeah the amount of hotel rooms we have (laughs) it it just makes sense from my perspective but we're also a sports family so something like that would be impactful for us yeah the sports families know sports families understand (laughs) how much they they pour into economies in albuquerque and dallas and places like that absolutely what's your favorite local restaurant this was so hard so hard because i have so many now i'll I'll give you a couple if you want to if you want to expand okay The the three that came to mind, first of all, Sharky's, live and die by Sharky's. That was actually the first meal I had to have after having my son. Okay. <laughs> um, so Sharky's. Amarillo people know that Chipotle doesn't hold a candle to Sharky's. And that's always been fascinating to me. You know, when I go someplace, I'm like, yeah, this build your own burrito is fine, but it's not Sharky's. Yeah. I love a, a good Chipotle bowl every once in a while, but nothing compares to Sharky's yeah. burrito. Uh, so that's probably my number one. Second is Jorge's. I just, I'm, I'm a huge Mexican food fan, and Jorge's has always been top-notch. And then third is my favorite coffee shop, and that's Palace. Okay. So, What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? I also went back and forth on this one. Wood, I mean, Wolflin, you can't hold a candle to Wolflin for certain things. Just the history, the trees, the feel. But we live in Woodlands, and it has grown on me. I love the the scenery. It feels different, um, just the hills and mm-hmm. the trees that you see in the fall. And um, it's just very quiet over there, which is weird. 
when now when I go to Southwest Amarillo, I'm like, wow, this is so loud. There's yeah. traffic everywhere. And then well, I go just back try to record a podcast on a back porch. <laughs> you realize how loud it is everywhere. So then I go home and I'm like, wow, this is so peaceful. So the woodlands really, really is area. unique in Amarillo because of the landscape. I mean, yes. every neighborhood is flat except for like the woodlands and North Heights. You have to get to the north northwest side of Amarillo. And then you've got actual hills and yes. views and different things like that. Yeah, going for a leisurely walk around our neighborhood is a workout. Yeah, you're walking Especially when you're pregnant. I'm just like, okay, this is, oof, okay. <laughs> What's the most underrated aspect of living in this area? I think the fact that you could be involved at a younger age in leadership roles, in politics, in nonprofits, I think some people take that for granted. Hmm. Um, I've been able to do a lot in my community at a young age, and I don't know if that's just from knowing the right people or hustle, but uh, I just, I feel like, you know, the Elevate Amarillo group up and coming, you, there's just a difference in Amarillo and the business side of it and the nonprofit side of it where I just think Emerald is unique and that you can have an impact earlier in your career and in life. And that's necessary too, because so many nonprofits have relied on an aging volunteer base or an aging donor base that engaging, you know, millennials or, or young families in their work is like essential for survival for a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see the next five to 10 years that transition kind of happen from leadership standpoints, but I think our current leadership is doing a really great job of mentoring and bringing along these younger uh, leaders and people who really want to have an impact at Amarillo and, ma- and opening the door for mm-hmm. us. You know, some communities are just like, no, this is ours. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't want you to be involved. We here. don't trust you. You, you got these young weird exactly. ideas. Exactly. But I feel like Amarillo is doing a really great job of bringing along the next, the next group and opening that door. Okay. So I know that you've done a lot of work talking to outsiders about Amarillo with the Wire Accelerator and and other programs. So how do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Geographically or just overall? (laughs) What's your selling point? What's your sales pitch for these Um, these companies? I would say Amarillo is a great place to build a business and grow a family. That means a lot to me from both aspects. Okay. Raising kids here is a unique experience. We have great schools, great neighbors, just overall atmosphere for family, but doing that while being able to build a business is, I feel like, one of our selling points. Okay. And then when was the last time you went to the Big Texan? Speaking last, of entrepreneurship, yes, there's a good example of it. September, actually. We always try to take the cohort, the accelerator cohort, to local restaurants while they're here. That's just part of our program to show them. The ex- one, we have tons of locally owned restaurants, and they're really great. Um, but we always start with the big Texan because hello, it's Amarillo and you've got, you have to take people from, do they have, uh, like, do they know about the big Texan usually in advance? Is it on their radar? Some do, especially if they're kind of more from the Texas area, but the ones that are further out have no idea and they walk in they're like, Whoa, this is, this is Texas. Yeah. It meets their (laughs) expectations. Absolutely. Okay, Kyla, that concludes the eight straight uh, questions. I like to end by giving my guest the opportunity to endorse something. So what is something you would want listeners to know about or to experience in this area? 
I really want people to know about the PRO program, both in Emerald ISD and Canyon ISD. And it's an internship program for seniors okay. to go out to different fields um, three times a week for two hours and actually get hands-on real-world experience. So they offer internships anywhere from veterinarian to the sheriff's department to entrepreneurship, marketing, graphic design. And these kids get to go out into these different organizations and have mentors who are helping them and teaching them, but they're also job shadowing. Okay. So we've we've been mentors for that program for a long time, and just seeing the difference and the impact that it can have on on these kids and their thought process right. going into college and kind of what to expect afterwards going into the corporate setting or looking for that kind of company culture that they want is interesting, and I feel like underrated in this in this area is it something they have to like schedule with their counselors as they're you know figuring out what what am I gonna what classes am I gonna take in the fall semester do they have to plan ahead on that yes I think I think when you're a junior you determine whether or not you want to do the pro program and I know there's a morning two hours and then an afternoon two hours that you could kind of work into your schedule to go be in these businesses okay Kyla Fry, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is fun. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Kyla for the interview and to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thanks also to SKP Creative and Wick Realty for sponsoring this episode. If your business is interested in sponsoring this podcast or if you as an individual want to support it, uh, I'd ask you to visit patreon.com slash heyamarillo. This is a free product. But it's not cheap. It, it takes me a lot of time each month. It takes Angelina a lot of time every week. So uh, your support really helps us continue to do this. Supporters of Hey Amarillo include executive producers Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, Neil Nossiman, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Joshua Rafe, Griselda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, and Jason Burr. This has been episode 155 My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.